there is the old ideas of that if we give people psychedelics, they're going to lay down their weapons. And it's, it's just not true. It's an idea that somebody had, but we never really tested it. it the history doesn't speak to its uh, authenticity either because they used it in warrior societies for centuries. How I've explained it to folks is that you open up these different parts of yourself. That the psychedelics are consciousness amplifiers, and we all have protectors inside of us. We all have warriors inside of us. We also have lovers. We also have kings and queens. We have these kind of archetypal figures, these identities in ourselves that need to come out and be expressed in order to integrate all the roles in which we play in our life. It's easy to talk about the successes, but what doesn't get talked about enough is the struggle. My name is Eric Weinmayer. I've gotten the chance to ascend Mount Everest, to climb the tallest mountain in every continent, to kayak the Grand Canyon, and I happen to be blind. It's been a struggle to live what I call a no barriers life, to define it, to push the parameters of what it means. And part of the equation is diving into the learning process and trying to illuminate the universal elements that exist along the way. And that unexplored terrain between those dark places we find ourselves in and the summit exists a map. That map, that way forward, is what we call no barriers. When it comes to treating post-traumatic stress disorder, AKA PTSD, most treatments fall into these two common buckets, medication and or psychotherapy. Simply said, it works for some, but not for all. Today we meet Dr. Zach Skiles, who is at the forefront of entheogenic drug treatments for veterans suffering from PTSD. If you're Googling entheogenic, so was I a few months ago when we started planning this episode. These mostly plant-based drugs have been used since prehistoric times across the planet. Thanks to their psychoactive properties, they induce alterations in perception, mood, consciousness, condition, and behavior. Zach's focus is on psilocybin, which, as some of you might know, is the psychoactive substance in magic mushrooms. Once on the fringe of medical practices, research with these types of treatments are becoming more mainstream. Oregon became the first state to legalize psilocybin and is currently setting up a regulatory framework for psilocybin services in therapeutic settings. But ultimately, why do we care? Here's a thought. Going through trauma is not rare. According to the National Center for PTSD, 60% of men and 50% of women experience at least one major trauma in their lives. The work Dr. Skiles and others are doing are opening the door to breakthrough treatments and even complete paradigm shifts in the way the medical community looks at not only PTSD treatments, but how the brain works and can rebuild a healed version of itself. Both Eric and Dave are on the road, so our regular co-host Jeff Evans picked up the mic to fly solo with Zach Skiles in this interview. I hope you enjoy it. I'm producer Diedrich Chonk, and this is the No Barriers Podcast. All right. Hey, everybody. Hi, No Barriers community. Jeff Evans here. Uh, we have a pretty unique environment today. I think this may be the first time that we've ever had a solo host episode of the podcast. Uh, for one reason or another, I'm not even sure. Maybe Eric doesn't like me anymore. Uh, Dave's busy. I'm not sure what it is, but it's it's very convenient. I ain't going to complain because I, I feel like it's important to say last year when we were wrapping up 2021, 
the production team said, you know, hey, what do you guys, what what topics do you want to do you want to hit next year? And uh, we all threw, you know, we threw some spaghetti on the wall and saw what would stick. And 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 the guest we have on today and the topic that we're going to discuss was my number one pick. Uh, and I'm really, really excited and honored because, as you will come to find, this gentleman is a busy fella. He's doing a lot. He's got a lot of irons in the fire. And, uh, and for him to carve out some time for us and our community today to really, I think, paint a picture and per- perhaps even fill in some gaps, I think this could be a really profound and meaningful conversation. So, no further ado... We are honored to have Zach Skiles with us uh, today. Zach is an extraordinary young man who, um, you know, my, 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 my script here, Zach, says that you're a former Marine, but I know when there's no such thing as a former Marine. Am I, am I right? <laughs> Fair, yes. Okay, so Zach is a, let's say, call a retired Marine. He was an Iraqi <laughs> veteran, uh, and you served up until, give me the year so I don't butcher it. Oh, 2004. December of 2004 was my EAS. So you got out of EAS in 2004 and you had served for how many years? Just four years. I was four a short time. Okay. Yeah, but you did you did experience quite a bit in those four years, um, as as one would imagine, because you were, you were in Iraq. Did you do one deployment in Iraq? That's right. Yeah. So I was, I initially joined when, uh, I think, gosh, 2000. December time frame. So this was pre 9-11. And uh, I, I had had no idea that a war was was going to be a part of my journey when joining. I like to tell folks that I in no way was a was a hero of any kind, uh, that I was just kind of in this place at the time. Uh, and and ended up invading Iraq in 2003. Uh, as a motor vehicle operator, what they call a, a driver. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just 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 so we can understand the backdrop, though, you grew up where? Oh, I so I bounced around a lot. I was actually born in in Kansas City, Missouri, mm-hmm. and uh, my family moved out to New York, and we lived in in Times Square in the the mid eighties, and bounced out to yeah, it's a yeah. It Times Square in the 80s, man. (laughs) Lively for being a young kid, like bouncing around in Times Square. And okay, well, those are some of my first memories as a as a human being, and they are they're lively, yeah, lively. Yeah. So we we lived on top of a homeless shelter that my dad worked at, and uh, it also it it was kind of a two or three part community because it was a homeless shelter, a kind of artist uh, performance collective, and uh, a church. And uh, believe my my uncle was actually working at the church at the time. And so we inevitably uh, moved out to California and I ended up in Los Angeles, the Los Angeles area for a few years and then moved up to, to San Francisco in 1989, just in time for the earthquake. Did you know that you were going to enlist pretty right out of high school or was this something that, that uh, you know, kind of, kind of popped up and you decided to do after you graduated? So I actually didn't graduate. I dropped out of high school when I was a, after my sophomore year. So I 
I, at the time, was working a few different jobs. I was 16 years old at the time, and I had a, a job working at Blockbuster Video, and I had a, a Marine Corps recruiter walk in one night and say, you know, we're, we're looking for a few good men, gave me the spiel. And yeah. Did he use the line, looking for a few good men? <laughs> uh, just go, yeah, the answer is yeah. Probably. Let's just, right. for, for the legend of the, of the story, we're going to say yes. And, and you said, <laughs> what, 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 was your, what was your reply? Had you considered it or were you just? Or were, I, you know? I, was, I was really considering it because at the time I was trying to take my, my girlfriend out and pay rent at the same time which just wasn't possible on the on the salaries that I was getting paid at the time so I was thinking yeah, to myself Yeah, Blockbuster didn't play that pay that much. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. So so I was already thinking to myself, okay, school, what am I doing here? And this Marine Corps recruiter looking like Denzel Washington in dress blue uniform walks in with the line and and says we can help you out with school, we can, you know, give you some discipline and in my line, my life at that time that was exactly what I needed. I needed some discipline. I needed some structure. And I, I definitely needed to go back to school and kind of better myself. And so I always used that as my, my kind of touchstone as I moved through this whole process. This is my intention, actually, when working through whatever was going on for me in the Marine Corps. Yeah. So, I mean, the tapestry that will ultimately prove today's Zach Skiles was, was, and, and the listeners are going to appreciate this because right now, right now, all they know is that you're a young kid who worked at Blockbuster making seven bucks an hour. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, I think I'm just going to go, you know, join the Marine Corps. A lot happened. Uh, and your journey and your road since then has, has been remarkable to say the least. And I bet you if I just, just because I'm, I'm trying to look at this from a uh, listener's perspective. If, if I painted Zach's picture right now and who you are and then put the, you know, 17, 18 year old Zach right there, I'm not sure those two things are congruent, even though we know they are, because that was a part of this. Right. But I mean, when yeah. you look back, cause the mystery of you is yet to be unfolded so far. And I just, when you, when you hear this story of you and, and where you were and now where you are now, is it congruent in your mind? Do you see the connection? Does it seem like a former life to you? Does it seem like somebody else's life, perhaps, in a certain degree? There's aspects of it that definitely are. Um, so the fact that I've, since that time in my life, I've always held the, the, the want, the need, the desire to learn from my surroundings, learn from people around me. When I, you know, I, I lived in New York, Los Angeles and San Francisco, and I was very used to being like the only white kid in class. And so learning from those who are different around me became a, a much bigger thing in my life as a young adult. So that, that kind of aspect has stayed with me into the realms of psychology and, and learning from those around me and how best to help folks. There's so many other growing points where you do step back in those moments of awe and say, man, I did not see this coming at all. The growth there is is something very amazing to me. But you have to be receptive to it, wouldn't you? I mean, I think, for instance, you and, and I'm sure many people who can relate to the idea of being thrust into these these environments that 
it's it's obviously mandatory change it's mandatory learning but it's whether you are fully receptive to the evolution of you in becoming who you who you are you were you receptive to what would ultimately become where you are right now i'd say so i I'd, I'd call it actually i i stayed present with it um i was uh and and open minded that was that was kind of the key as I've moved through, there were definitely times and people in my life where we did not see eye to eye and neither of us really would back down from, from whatever philosophy we were pulling from in the Marine Corps or otherwise in my life. But at some point in time in the respite of breaking bread with this other person, I didn't leave. I didn't discount them and discredit and walk away. I, I stayed with that because that's that's what you do when you're in the Marine Corps. You you work with those that are around you. You're part of a tribe and a team. And that which uh, you know hurts the other person ends up hurting you. So having having this ability to sit and stay open with another person's experience, I think was actually fashioned very succinctly in the Marine Corps. Yeah. And so much of what you're saying now is really uh, obviously played into your role now as a teacher, as an advisor, as a guide uh, in what you do. Um, and obviously, I'm, I love I love suspense. So I love the story and the narration line. So let's keep <laughs> filling it in because people are like, who the hell is this guy, man? So, so the, the idea of, of a four-year stint, very, very heady. Lots yeah. of, of, of very, very heavy and heady things took place as it has with a lot of our, our veteran space um, and those stories. As, and, and that's why I felt like it was important for you to, to sort of color in that part about being receptive. It's not what you ask for. It's not what you ask for. These things yeah. happen to you um, and happened around you, and it sets you off on this trajectory that led to this place. And I just think that some people's storyline is maybe more traumatic and profound than others, but we all have the same story. We all have this, like, you get your ass kicked. It's the hero's journey, right? You accept totally. the battle, you get your ass kicked, you create alliances, and then you come back and tell the story. And if anything, I know you said you're not a hero, but you're living the hero's journey, like, to a true, like, George Lucas would be like, Fuck yeah, man, good job, right? <laughs> so... So that, that being said, after you got out of the Marine Corps, after those four years, you know, can, can we say that, that things, things weren't like unicorn farts and, and cherries on top for a hot minute? Yeah. You know, I, for sure, this is, this is, uh, so there are multiple points as I'm, as I'm thinking about now staying open to, and the journey within, in the military and how it, how it kind of impacted the the aftermath and kind of life after the Marine Corps. One of the things I, I just wanted to mention that you reminded me of was my time in Okinawa, Japan. So pre-9-11 and then post-9-11. So when 9-11 happened, I was actually in Okinawa, Japan. And uh, I, I discovered that psilocybin was legal at the time in Okinawa and you could go out on town and actually get it and experience it. And one of my friends introduced me to it. And there was this ability that I think actually really helped me stay open. And uh, 
continue to connect with the unit that I was in because the unit I was in was actually really uh, it was under investigation at the time for having one of the higher suicide rates on the island. And we were we were struggling. This was uh, pre Iraq deployment, too, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So for a while, for for several weeks, we were actually uh, having psilocybin sessions together as as a unit. But loosey goosey, just kind of loosey goosey, just getting high. And yeah, unbeknownst to leadership and Uh all of that. And I slowly titrated myself in different ways as as a experimenter. Uh-huh. And slowly but surely, those those depression symptoms alleviate. Your appetites come back. The unit that I was with really formed together a, a tight bond that still exists today. Was everybody in the unit doing these sessions with you and just sort of taking these 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 deeper dives? And by the way, for everybody, you know, I, I think it just has to be said, psilocybin is the the component, the compound that's in what most people think of as magic mushrooms, right? And it's a psychoactive property. We're going to get into a little bit more of that and the the science behind it. But I just want to make sure everybody was aware of what we're talking about here so and and because i'll I'll geek out with you a little bit like what kind of dosages were you taking how many grams were you taking when you were titrating up yeah so titrating started off with like a gram and that became kind of oh okay i can feel this in my body this feels nice i like this Mm -hmm. um and like the next the next weekend or the next couple weeks later you go up another gram, two two grams. You start to kind of have a little bit of visualizations that will happen. And you're like, oh, whoa, okay, okay. And then the three gram experience was um, my first mystical experience ever, actually in Okinawa, and a profound kind of spiritual experience that really hit home in in many different ways. That I think started to form and help me fashion that that openness that we talk about when staying open to whatever's going on there's a there's a, a great way to kind of accept all things be it hardships or joy <laughs> wait now hold on a second that's interesting so it's hard to accept whether it's pain and pleasure Let, keep keep going on that tell me more so Specifically, when you're in a place of hardship, you're used to the hardship. You you expect nothing but it. So when you are experiencing joy, that can be a little off offsetting. What is this? Is this a good thing? Am I supposed to be enjoying this? This is this is positive, and I'm not used to it. Okay. Being able to stay open to these kind of experiences takes some some therapy, and as we know, we'll get into it further in the practices. Yeah. So you weren't, you weren't, you weren't necessarily integrating any of this process when you guys as a unit, you were just getting quite high, but the neurobiology was taking place. Like even whether you knew it or not, or understood it or not, was everybody in the unit taking place or the majority or what was that like? So that was a small group. So within, I'd say my platoon, the unit was much bigger, uh, but my platoon specifically there was, uh, I'd say, two fire teams with us who were, were having journeys with us in Okinawa. So right then, this is pre, like, I mean, I know it sounds like there was some heady times in Japan, but this was still before shit got really, until you went way down range and things got, yes. things got super heavy and a lot of traumatic experiences took place. So you had 
this these experiences that would ultimately come back and show their fruition a lot later so right. from, a, from a chronological perspective get us from okinawa to to iraq and then and then what happened uh after iraq so um again i'm not a i'm not a hero in this in this life but i i ended up joining a unit in after okinawa japan in camp pendleton i was i was told this unit was non-deployable wasn't going anywhere and i was going to sit my butt in san diego and i was like all right cool that's that's something i can do and in the first uh, deployment this unit ever goes on is to invade iraq and so i was like well this is my life right now i'm gonna take this on. once again you didn't ask for it you didn't ask for it but there you are right bam right all right so Again, the the openness, the presence. Um, yeah. I would I would tell folks in my life, you know, bring it on. Like this is this is clearly something that I need to move through. And uh, you know, I, I I had signed up. I had I had given my word to follow through on my obligations, and and that's something that I hold to to the nth degree in my life. So, um, 2003, I I show up and uh, start to help out with uh, different units. So as a driver, I get detached a lot to many different units, helping out uh, uh, MHG, 9th Com, 2-7. There were, there were a number of different units that I would drive for. So that's interesting. So you, you, had, you had a significant heavy comradic experience with your Okinawa crew due to your psilocybin journeys that you were taking. Did you, you probably felt a pretty strong connection to these men, uh, at that time. And then you're in Iraq, you're thrown right right into the shit. And not only that, but it sounds like you're popping around. You're like a utility guy. Are you, are you able to develop some pretty strong bonds while you're there? I'm guessing you did, but what was that like for you? Yeah, I feel like the so the social impact has been something historically that folks have talked about in different literature circles. Uh, but since our tribal beginnings of warriors uh, using any kind of uh, entheogenic medicine before before going out and into war, one of the aspects and benefits was that people would bond before doing so and have a tighter unit to, to work with. And then coming back, you have that kind of bonding ceremony again. So having having the the kind of lessons of bonding to be able to jump into multiple units and and utilize those kind of uh, dynamics or aspects socially with people was incredibly valuable. Well, let me ask you then. So if you're the if you're the guy who's popping from place to place. And you've had these experiences, you know something, you've been somewhere, right? Like deep in the recesses back here. And you know the, at least the anecdotal efficacy for yourself that you've had, but you're popping into the two seven and these guys don't know Zach Skiles. And you're like, hey bros, let's eat some mushrooms and let's have a ceremonial experience so that we can go out and like put the drop on these dudes. You know, you're not doing that necessarily, are you? No, no. <laughs> I I, uh, I went into different units because, well, 2-7 specifically, there was a guy I knew from Japan, from my old unit. Ah. Um, and so we we ended up finding each other. He needed some help. And so I, I did my thing with him. And I had these kind of ends 
that were more socially based and being able to sit back, I think just uh, as a human being, allow people their experience and and work with what's present again, staying present and open. Well, the listeners are going to find out who ultimately, like we've said all along here over the years after you, you got out of the core, you went into being a healer and a teacher and a guide, but sounds like you were doing it then too, right? Like you were, were you reaching out and, and making these connections, whether it was using medicine or not, but you were listening, you were, you were processing with your, with your, with your guys you, you were there with. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So after every attack, we usually had a, a debriefing session. And after the debriefing session, then you have kind of a, a social br- debriefing session in the smoke pit that would take place where, where, you know, guys could say things that they couldn't say to leadership and uh, kind of publicly that they were scared to kind of let things know or just didn't feel comfortable to, to let everything out. And the majority of folks invading Iraq at the time were in a similar boat to me. They, they actually signed up in peacetime and were not expecting this at all. So they, they, they had a lot to divulge and kind of let out and continuing to have these check-in sessions, I think was a real growth point that, that continued to usher me into where I am today. But I mean, that, that just showed, probably showed you who you were and who you could be just from, like we've talked about before, just your ability to, to listen and to ask and to say, I'm here with you and for you, which I think, and you tell me, Zach, but I mean, that's a hard thing for a man to do with another man, right? Like to show that vulnerability, like, man, brother, I'm here for you. And I want to hear what you have to say. Cause I think, especially with military, I think perhaps even more so than any, any culture that doesn't truly exist or it's, it's maybe the optic of it isn't as, as at least when you're in, maybe when you get out, am I right? So tell me what your thoughts are on that. It's a, it's a balancing act with mm-hmm. that because you, you, I think a lot of the time, the position that I was in, I was a bit of a rebel. Clearly I, I had a psilocybin experience during my time in uh, Okinawa. There's, there's an aspect to me that I was doing my best to remain true to myself throughout all these experiences and hold what I felt was right. And sometimes that clashes with what's needed from leadership. Interesting. And so having that pull that I'm going to remain authentic and present, no matter what the anyone else says, was my stance continually. And sometimes I did not get promoted for it. I took that from leadership and and continued on my path, which honestly just gained more uh, respect and credibility for people to continue to open up in certain steps. And there's there's an aspect of that that I truly see the other side to. We do need to maintain some sort of discipline, some sort of uh, uh, fighting spirit. And there's a balance to being able to allow somebody to vent, to open up, to express, and then jump back into what they need to do. And there's a lot of folks who don't have that kind of unique or nuanced uh, to, to compartmentalize, really, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah, 
Yeah. So, so many things that you've said, I, I just want to, you know, I think that if you go back and we're going to get in, I want to get into the legalities too here at some point um, of, of everything. But if you look back on the stigma that was set on psychotropics, even back in the sixties, the big fear was from the government as, as we know is like, we're going to turn these guys all into pacifists, right? Like no one's going to want to fight and, and we can't have that. We need fighters. We need warriors. Right? So that's what you're saying right now is like, you know, so, so that, that had to have been like you, you even mentioned is like, you understand that part, right? Like the balance of warrior versus what? So tell me about that. How does that fit? So there's I, I I chuckle with you because there is the old ideas of that if we give people psychedelics they're gonna lay down their weapons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's just not true, and it's it's an idea that somebody had, but we never really tested it, and mm-hmm. I I don't believe it to be true, and it the history doesn't doesn't speak to its authenticity either because they used it in warrior societies for decades, centuries. And so having how I've explained it to folks is that you open up these different parts of yourself that the psychedelics are consciousness amplifiers. And we all have protectors inside of us. We all have warriors inside of us. We also have lovers. We also have kings and queens. We have these kind of archetypal figures, these identities in ourselves that need to come out and be expressed in order to integrate all the roles in which we play in our life. So going too far in one direction and thinking we're all going to sing Kumbaya is simply not not the case. There's, there's aspects of this that are unrealistic to think that somehow these are going to, uh, these being, so psychedelics being uh, panaceas that somehow they're going to solve all our problems and and we'll all we'll all be better off when in actuality holding the identities of one person is actually what's going to kind of continue bring a a better warrior a more conscious and present person to be able to make some hard decisions when it comes to do I pull the trigger do I make this decision rather than that decision and things that that we here in the States have a really hard time focusing on because we get to have so many options. We get to have a choice of Coke, Pepsi. We get to have a choice of Sprite or 7-Up. We get black jeans, skinny jeans, white jeans, red jeans. We don't really exist in a culture a lot of the times where we don't have any good choices. And when you're in a place like a war zone trying to survive and protect those around you sometimes you have no good choices but to just continue to live and there's an aspect of that that is so hard for people because it bumps up to our own mortality that they can't really hold it in a sense to be able to understand it fully and so it becomes uh it becomes stigmatized when in actuality it's it's a fact of life. Now that's kind of a ramble. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Because you just said like 17 things that are absolutely <laughs> memorable for 
anyone who has stepped over into that warrior place. And let's just say that, you know, your experience was in a combat theater, as a lot of our listeners, but there's other ways to step into that warrior space. And what you've just explained very, very eloquently is in order to be the best version of the warrior that you want to become, even if you're a professional ballet dancer, that's a warrior. Like that warrior has to have that that's the yin and yang that's the black and the white that's the different layers of character that exist in us and that these experiences totally. you're talking about allow these parts of you to percolate to the top right and then through the integration you're able to marry them together and make this person that is the best warrior the best ballet dancer the best musician right because you're balancing right. these parts of you i wanted to say one other thing that you brushed on that i know that you know a lot about and um being an anthropology major i geek out on this i think this is fantastic stuff the warrior the ceremonial warrior traditionally and we're backing up thousands of years to, to, to kind of feed into that that uh, narrative of you know I'm going to take these deep deep psychedelic uh, experiences and then I'm just going to be a pacifist on the contrary am I right like think about whether it's Native American culture right or Eastern warrior culture it's like they would have these heavy heavy psychedelic experiences prior to battle and part of exactly why you're saying it Zach it's like bringing unity like I love you and I will fight for you right yeah. And yeah. I would bring the best version. And it was North America. It was Asia. It was South America. It was all over Europe. Like these experiences were quite universal. Talk to me about that. My aspect and kind of the short version of it, I'll get into the long version. But what I always like to tell people is that there was when I experienced this and when I do experience it in veteran uh, communities, it's not put down your guns. It's love each other. It's really come to connect, and you can do both. And there is there's a way that that these practices amplify your power that's needed to make those kind of decisions to move through really difficult experiences, and also to continue to return to love because ultimately that's why we're fighting. Nobody likes to fight. Like this is something we have to do to be protectors and to hold what it is that we love, and so these these really big ceremonial aspects from ancient Gaul when, when Celtics were going against the Romans just to save their own land and, and ultimately had to have a, a, a scorched earth kind of policy, the first to enact it. These were times where, where uh, psychotropics were being used in order to, to rally the troops, to be able to have experiences that looked like life and death, to have a rebirth experience uh, or a death rebirth experience and having gone through kind of an, an ego death or death experience you were able to walk onto the field of battle knowing I have I have passed this before in my lifetime I have been here before and I will be here again and I will move through this with love and confidence and that's kind of what we go for. That's the baseline neurologically that we've found with people. When you when you step back from from all your experiences and and have gosh have a have a large dose and be able to kind of ground yourself in in what it is that's really important and what it is that you actually love and what what you want to protect in your life. I think this is a, a really there, there's there's a lot of backstory, but I 
this thread is very important. And I'm afraid if we don't go into a little bit of the neurobiology right now that we may miss it. So I, 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 uh, I've talked about it before on the podcast. If you haven't read Pollen's book, How to Change Your Mind, I think that's sort of the, the beginning place for a lot of people to understand neuroplasticity, neurobiology, and you know the, the potentiation of what you, you and I are talking about here. Um, and I think that's a good spot. Highly recommend it for, for anybody. But Zach, you mentioned it. The, the death of the ego and the preparation of who you are um, and who you will become. And I never really thought, so, so a lot of psilocybin experiences, a lot of psychotropic experiences are being shown to be very efficacious in the, uh, in the community of folks who have a, you know, a, a diagnosis, you know, that the mortality rate is 99% and, you know, it's a terminal diagnosis and they f they're scared, they're, they're afraid. Um, and they're afraid of death. And then the data would show anecdotally, at least like you take these big, huge experiences and have a full integration with it, that they come back out and they're more prepared for this next part of this journey. Now, I had never really thought about what you're talking about right now and connecting those dots as that warrior, right? That ego death. So please just give me a little bit more color with that and the way that you're thinking that that, that is integrated into the community. So, um, when it comes to, gosh, it's a, it it's a, that, to, that, that, yeah, I mean, where do you even start that? Sorry. That's, that's a, that's a big <laughs> one, bro. I, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> so you, you no, take a stab right. at it. I'm by the way, I've got, I hope you got three hours carved out. Cause it's, uh, cause it's a lot, <laughs> yeah. it's a lot of material here. Keep going though. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, the, so the aspect of, uh, again, staying present with something, staying open to it also comes from your ability to approach it from from multiple angles in my belief being able to see things from more than just your own perspective that ultimately is is what helps us grow to be able to take in different lines of thoughts the they call it the theory of mind to understand someone else's and being able to do that actually comes from a practice so far what we're seeing with some of the research from the activation of the locus cerealis this is the part of the brain that allows uh, folks to have nuanced experiences or, or novice experiences, have these kind of what feel like new and reborn experiences when approaching things that may be entrenched in their life that they have experienced over long periods of time. Um, and so having, having the ability to remain what's called uh, plastic with it is is something that then promotes growth not only dendrite growth with what we're seeing from a lot of different uh, psilocybin studies right now but but personal and social growth when it comes to being more flexible being able to to stay uh open to what's possible to love what's possible to care about and protect and and where where a person would like to go with that because ultimately what is uh, at the core of any kind of stuck point or or disorder of some kind or disease is is a uh, concreteness, an inability to remain flexible or present with something in order to to understand it better or grow. Well, you you even mentioned it, and I think it's important for for folks to to understand. 
uh, as we sort of you know dip our toe into this is that there are actually on a neurobiological uh, landscape there are structural changes that take place in your body in your neurochemistry right like you mentioned the, the dendritic changes and you know on a cellular level like the these dendrites actually grow right through yeah. these experience there's growth and so it's for me I, I i really appreciate that there's like actual physical cellular growth that takes place in conjunction with these sort of this emotional growth or psychological growth that takes place with that we don't yeah. i mean um we might lose some people if we go deep down into that into that <laughs> into that hole um but but i find it i find i think i think am i right though it's like there 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 are Absolutely. things happening though um that that are happening on the cellular level that 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 last and i think mm -hmm. if you could maybe let's 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 kind of let's kind of pause for one second and then go over back to to you again and your sort of journey that led us to understanding everything that you're sharing with us right now so when when you got when you got out you had a hard go for a while as, mm -hmm. as many, um, you know, veterans that, that had the experiences that you had, they do. And yeah. it sounds like a pretty typical sort of path that we've heard many times. You go to the VA, you get your therapy, you get prescribed some meds, and then you start relying on alcohol and drugs and you, you, right. but so as that happened to you and you, you felt things spiraling, wasn't there a part of you that said, hold, hold on a second. I remember this tool that I had that hmm. really took me to this place was that gap that I read about with you. And I know that happened to you. Did you, were you acknowledging the fact that you knew there was a medicine that was out there that was way more efficacious than just doing the, 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 the things that you were doing at that time? Or did you not want to go that way? Or where were you? I had no idea this was a, an available practice. I, because of my experiences in Okinawa, the fact that I was 19 when I was having them with no real framework as to what was going on, that was kind of it for me. And I, I moved on, not, not really fully aware of the power that that held. So when I, gosh, I think one of the more potent things that actually really helped when moving through was meditation. So when I got back from Iraq, I was very, very lucky. I was, I had created a, a memorial for one of my very good friends. He was my rack mate in Iraq, and uh, I got to meet his his extended family. And his mother-in-law was actually quite privately a a practicing shaman who who did some uh, cleansing rituals with me and uh, taught me how to meditate and. At the time, still, I'm a 22-year-old kid who wasn't really sure what the cleansing rituals were about, but I really found something in the meditation practice. And I tried to hold on to that as much as I could, but in actuality, you know, meditation is not a panacea either. These things are all integrated and can help out and be great as a team, but they're, they weren't the, the number one savior. I think... Slowly but surely, I I was able to find my way to uh, a private PTSD clinic that was doubling as a, a, a homeless shelter.
for Iraq and Afghanistan guys. And, Had you exhausted all your all your time or what you thought oh, yeah. was effective at the VA? Like, was the VA really like you were done? You'd done all you could do there? Yeah, I so there was there was multiple aspects to that. I think I. I had a hard time just communicating in general how much help I needed as I would show up to the VA and not understand how to fill out certain forms or say, you know, I'm good, I'm good, I just need a little help, but I'm good, don't worry about it. When in actuality, I needed a significant amount of help and I didn't know how to communicate that with folks. So slowly but surely, I I lost the abilities to to, you know, go to work, to pay bills, to function as a as a person. And then ended up homeless. And, and being homeless, I I couldn't actually continue going to the the San Francisco VA, and so I ended up in the Pathway Home out in uh, Napa, at the California Veterans Home. And so there were there there was a, a an amount of therapy that wasn't even available to me at the time because this was two thousand and gosh eight. They were still figuring out a ton of stuff that was going on 2009-ish. And I think what I also didn't realize is that I needed to hear things from another veteran and actually be in my own community in order to have the credibility to to honor my experiences. Because I, I got out and a, a good chunk of my platoon kept going. Some of my guys have gone on for an entire career and at the time were probably on their fifth or sixth combat tour. And so I come out of that having done one tour thinking, okay, I need to like really get it together. Like I've only had one tour. I was not in the Battle of the Bulge. I was not in the jungles of Vietnam. I, I really just need to move past this. When in actuality, I had actually been through something very significant. We had, like, I stopped counting after 30 heavy artillery attacks. We had a staff sergeant say we had over 200 small arms attacks. And there was a piece of me that simply didn't have anything to gauge that with because I didn't come from a military family. I was working in Blockbuster Video. And, uh, being able to sit with other veterans who could come over and say, Zach, your tour, that, that initial invasion was why I joined the Marine Corps. Your experiences are something that, that I hold in reverence. And I started to have a better understanding of what I had been through and that I actually needed respect, uh, to respect some of my own experiences. Yeah, it, it it became validated for you because maybe you were trying to not validate it for what for those reasons you explained. Um, okay, so you were homeless, you were skidding out big time, and and just to be able to be clear, like you know, you were still the, the experiences you had in Okinawa. Those from from a medicinal perspective, you did that. You didn't connect those dots at this point. Nope. Okay. Yeah. So was meditation your gateway drug? Was that what yes. really, okay. So what happened with that? So I, after initially, I, I think it's also good to say that uh, I'm very lucky that I've come from the family that I've come from as well to, to continue recovering because it's, it's also something significant that they've been through as well to have one of their own go out to war 
and to go through a traumatic process that they they don't get benefits for from the VA. They have their own stuff now that they need to to handle and and heal from. So I I always I I want to I want to mention that in saying that that's also kind of a a hope that I hold on to for our future practices to bring in families and spouses who who have historically not gotten the support that's needed because Hollywood shows us the veteran story and we we have this kind of credibility to receive a significant amount of care for it. So moving through that, mindfulness practices, but more so meditation practices when it came to my my massive recovery process. So after that inpatient experience, I got out and I was meditating uh, with Buddhist practitioners and Hindu practitioners on a weekly basis. Um, I had, I had started a, a meditation group on Ocean Beach uh, that met every Saturday as the sun was going down on the beach, which sounds amazing, and it was at times, but in the wintertime when it's raining and you're still sitting out there like you're a monk on top of a mountain, mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a whole other level of commitment. Mm-hmm. And, uh I think it served me even more so when when continuing the consistency of a needed practice of of relaxing the nervous system, staying present, staying open to what was going on. And as I as I challenged myself further to to go to sashins or vipassanas, I I ended up at what's called Upaya in in New Mexico and uh, Esalen in California. And so going to these kind of week-long experiences where I could meditate for for a significant amount of time, I ended up having, again, some mystical experiences, some, some really significant altered consciousness experiences that I had never had before. And this was without psychedelics. This was without any, any substances at all. So this was just after meditating for days at a time. And bringing that back into my community as as a, a doctoral student and working and being trained at different VAs was was medicine in itself as well because it had clearly helped me out and uh, being able to help others with it became this whole other kind of healing process. And you very promptly found this channeling this modality of meditation the opportunity to find that but to find that space that healing space that but that took you days and and that and then that days retreat was honestly that was after months if not longer of practicing because as anybody who meditates knows that shit ain't easy man and it's you know it takes a while and it is a practice right and i love you know i love like you're sitting on the beach in the rain and it's like that's life but that's the way it's hard (laughs) like you're sitting amongst the storm trying to find neutrality trying to find this place and that's not easy to do so my question to you would then, and I feel like I may hopefully know where you're going with this, is it would take you, you know, months, if not years, to find that space after a several day retreat. That's that's a big time investment and a lot of discipline to be able to reach that. Yeah. Then maybe you realize there's a there's a little bit of a hack to be able to get into that place. Now, take me home. So I'm I 
should caveat that experience is that it did take me six years of meditating on a regular basis in order to have these altered states of consciousness, uh-huh. very profound mystical experiences. So as I'm, as I'm uh, running these mindfulness groups at the VA, I, I get a call from somebody who's heard about an Iraq veteran running these mindfulness groups, and they'd like me to come down to a clinic in Mexico called the Mission Within that was treating U.S. Special Forces with different psychedelics. And at the time, it was Ibogaine, 5-MeO-DMT, psilocybin, and MDMA. And I went down there. I think they're just an amazing group. One of the things that they have you do, uh, if you want to be a facilitator or, or work in the program, is to experience the medicine for yourself so that you know what folks are working with. And I was able to, to really come in they brought me in with open arms and were really, really helpful when ushering me through my first 5-MEO experience. And I wanted to stay open to continued healing. And I I didn't realize, actually, after doing uh, years of meditating, after doing eight eight years of, of trauma-related treatments, even after the inpatient program, I, I thought that this was as good as it gets. And I was sitting on a mountain in Mexico, and I realized then and there that I had just been healed of things that I no longer had to hold on to, that it gets better, actually. And this was something more profound than I knew was possible. And it was the hack that you you speak to. It was the ability to have ten years of a of a meditation practice in a few moments, to be able to sit so presently and to have the ability to take in what it is that you love, what it is you you need to be healed from, and then to work through it, to do the work. Me. For me, that was that was something so profound that I I decided to take a, a left turn and realize, okay, psychedelic assisted therapies, this is something I need to dedicate my time to, and has, the rest is pretty much history. Yeah. So was it that that was the the Mexico was that was the, the you say the left turn? I mean, that's where yeah. it really everything kind of hit for you, and you said, oh, okay. Even though I know after six years I can get there. I've got a community around me that may not have the afford the opportunity for six years of deep meditative practice, but wait a minute, here's a modality that we can use if used appropriately with the appropriate intake, the experience, and then the integration, all these components that we can get them there. Yeah. And that, that, and is that what hits you? And, and then while you were sitting on that hilltop and you realized yeah. like, okay, we can do this. Yes. I, I, I still had a lot more to learn. I just knew that it was something profound. So what came after that was the education of, of what's appropriate preparation for. Did you have your undergrad at that point? Yes, I was. So I was working at the VA during the week. And then on the weekends, I would be working at the Mexico Clinic. So the mission within. Okay. So by the way, everybody, remember Zach that dropped out his sophomore year and was working for six bucks an hour at at Blockbuster? (laughs) Yeah. Dr. Zach now. So so Dr. Zach went and I got his. And then you did you go into a graduate level program and then go get your Ph.D.? 
I did uh, my bachelor's and then went into a doctoral program. And, uh, and then while I was, while I was in that program, I was working with, uh, folks from, from different jail facilities in in Solano County in the Bay area, and then moved into eventually, uh, the VA system where I, it was my goal to, to work there and continue to bring in different kinds of community-based care. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you're, did you do postdoc stuff or that's what I'm doing right now? You're actually. doing it right now. Okay. I thought that was the case. Right. So, um, but you got your PhD and, and maybe I'm being too Hollywood with this, or maybe I'm trying to dr dramatize it a little too much. Did you see that? Or did you know that sitting in Mexico? Is that, was that something that came to you or did that happen after you fleshed out the, the epiphany that you had there? Like, did you say, I'm going to go on and like, I'm, I'm dumped. I'm jumping into the deep end right here and I know what I can do. And I'm going to go down the academic didactic components of this and I'm going to come out and I'm going to be a healer and a guide, but I know it's not, it, it can only be based on this sort of, you've got all of, you got the street cred, dude, you got the academia, you've got that, you know, you've got the, the veteran experience, but did it all like galvanize there for you in that moment? Or did you start to fill in the pieces when you got home? I really wish that I had had the ability to make those kind of plans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't that clear, but it, there was something there, right? Was there? Yes. There was there was something there, right? Yes. Okay. So I I humbly was already on a on a trek to continue working at the VA as a psychologist, running meditation mindfulness groups, and continuing to work in trauma related treatments. And it just so happens that I got an invitation that, again, I stayed open to. I stayed open, yeah. yeah. And then moved yeah. into what what opened up in front of me. And I didn't realize how well prepared I was for it when looking at my bachelor's. And most of it was in uh, transpersonal psychology as well as humanistic and existential. So working with spirit, working with uh, depth psychology. Bro, I mean, you may not have known it on the outside, but inside you knew what you were doing, right? I mean, obviously it was something you were interested in, but I mean, you were painting your tapestry a long time ago, right? You just maybe didn't even piece it together right here in the front, right? <laughs> True. I, yeah. I call it just following your heart, your intuition yeah. times where this, this is what feels right to you. This is what inspires you. Mm -hmm. And this is this is the path to take for for each individual, but that that doesn't always look so clear with the outcome at times. And it then became very clear while I was sitting on that mountaintop in Mexico. All of a sudden, I realized, oh my gosh, this is why I'm here. This is why yes. I've studied this to here to now. The consciousness aspects, the educational benefit, like there. There was a lot of parts that have have created what is now a very impactful practice that I, I get to help people with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but let's just say the backbone of all that is Zach was receptive, like you were open. And I think that that's, that's something that I think we could all learn from, right? And, and, it's, and part of it, you may not have even known you were open to it, like we were saying. I mean, there's some little things that were sprinkled around in there that that were happening because you were 
But I feel like all of us could take a page out of that book and say, let's just continue to keep our eyes open metaphorically and be receptive to that. Can we pivot just a little bit to a little bit of the, I don't want to say the industry because that just seems so sterile and bullshitty, but um, the industry of of therapy, right? Like, and of therapy and how these alternative modalities of therapy are just now, and I, maybe it's because I'm, I'm more receptive, I'm into yeah. this field, but I see it everywhere now. Everybody's like, oh, this, this could be really efficacious. Oh, this has got a lot of long-term potentiality, right? There's all this stuff. It seems like it's fairly mainstream and it's like, oh, I want to I wanna go buy a Ford 250 and you don't see them on the street and then all of a sudden you want to go buy one, you see it everywhere. It's like, oh, I see. So now I see it every day, all day, but... Uh, maybe some people don't. Maybe some people aren't as tuned into it as you and I are, but it is gaining traction. And I guess my first question to you would be, you know, the, this, the psychology, cookie cutter psychology approach, which the VA often has, has, has been implementing. No fault of anyone's own. It's just we bring people in. We have different forms of psychological intake from a professional we talk we process we manifest and then you come back the next week and we do it again and we do it again and we do it again that that's a business model and you know big pharma has included their component into there with their prozac that was introduced you know decades ago and oh this is going to be a mental health savior and turns out it wasn't and it never had you know it's really not at all it actually sets people back if you ask me personally but all of these things had sort of had their walk and they were moving along and this is not that and this breaks the mold and this is a challenge to convention when it comes to a lot of different aspects i think you know psychology in general is a little bit threatened by this because you're not coming to see me twice a week now zach right for your therapy session and talk to me about that because i think that that's sort of a big picture item that needs to be addressed and then let that bleed into that long-term potentiation and the efficacy of these deep psychedelic therapy treatments that we're talking about and marching them out weeks months years later yeah it's a big another big one for you so that's great it up for it. good luck with that <laughs> <laughs> i i think it's it's something to mention with a, a lot of humility too because there are aspects of of western medicine that really have helped a ton and there are places of growth in everybody's life just like in that system, there's we can always do better. I think as well as there is more work to be done within the psychedelic community and understanding what is appropriate uh, structure and work when it comes to preparation and integration so that it can sound and look like, you know, we we have these experiences that the 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 research is saying that the the benefits last from two to three months and sometimes more than a year, depending on, on the dosage and on the pathology. That also needs to be looked at with what kind of therapy is being paired with it and how is it that we get those benefits to last so that the system doesn't have to have such a taxation of, of folks coming every single week or uh, every single day in some cases to, to be able to have a medicine that you only have to take periodically instead of every day is something that can be 
increasingly beneficial for everybody. But again, it's not a magic pill. It's not a panacea. And it is about pairing it with what kind of therapeutic practice and what kind of daily practices you are utilizing with it. Because in any, in any medicine ceremony that uh, I've learned from the elders that have taught me the ability to um, actually listen to the messages that you have uh, to give yourself as, as well as any divine messages that you feel you're granted in a psychedelic session. The work is putting that to, to action in your daily life. And so it may seem like folks are no longer showing up on a weekly basis to our system, but in actuality, they, they are showing up in their own life. They're showing up in ways that are still being worked through. And so it doesn't look like the current model, and I'm happy about that. But at the same time, it's still a model, and it's still something that we need to start to understand better. And I really, really hope uh, that that is something specifically we start to look at in research, what kind of practices folks are using in order to have these two to three months, sometimes a year impact from from ceremonies there there have been uh there have been some studies and matter of fact not too long ago i don't know if it was in the lancet or what it was was talked about a follow-up group of participants um and they were testing you know a, a metric with regards to these are people with with previously diagnosed major depressive disorder and they go through a uh, they go through a, a medicine treatment and um they they marked you know with with a certain set of questions you know are you are you happy? You know, are, right. you, are you, are you good? And then, you know, what was it like two months later? Yeah, I'm, I'm good. And then took that same group, that cohort of 24, I think it was a year later. Are you good? The answer is, yeah, I'm, I'm good. You know? Mm -hmm. And like you said, it wasn't just this one-off. You can't just expect it to work. And then I'm good. I'm putting it on autopilot. It's like being on a climbing rope. You clip into it just because you're on the rope doesn't mean that you're squared away. You have to pay attention to the tension of the right. rope between right. you and the other people. It can't get too loose. It can't get too tight. Like it deserves that. It, re it requires that respect. And I think that's what you're saying. So that daily practice has to be integrated in with that. And that's why it sounds like you're saying that there is a model that can work in a way like a hybrid opportunity with conventional Western psychology and those approaches that come with seeing somebody, a professional and being able to communicate, but then also have these experiences that takes these dives. So you're working right now with with the with the VA um, and you have both as a patient and now as a clinician. Do you run up against the standard old stigma? No way, bro. This is like, this is not part of our convention. And it sounds like if you did, you figured out a way to get in there anyway. So talk to me about that and what that was like. And how did you do that? How did you create that relationship where they trusted you enough to, to, to start working on this level. Cause this is, this is no joke, man. I mean, this is very, very heady pioneering, pioneering stuff that you're doing. Yeah. Thanks. I, uh, 
I attribute that to other people staying open and present, honestly, and the kind of uh, blessings that I have to be able to connect with those in the system. I ended up, so as I was finishing my academic process for my doctorate, I was going out for an internship. And so there, there are many places that wanted to have me work at their VA all over the country. And at the time, I was still doing the weekends and the Mission Within, and I wanted to start to build a, a community around me of people who actually saw some some value to this. So as I was flown around the country to interview at different VAs, one of the things that I stayed really open about was my interest in uh, hope for psychedelic-assisted therapies. And so in doing so, you're going to have people who, who don't know a heck of a lot and they're still operating around the same stigma. And that's fine, but that's not where I'm at and it's probably not a good fit and we can go our separate ways. Thank you very much. Goodbye. And there were, luckily, uh, surprisingly, a lot of people all over the country at VAs who were very open to it, but they couldn't be public with it. When it comes to federal employment, there's there's a lot of amazing things going on all over the country, but because they are federal employees, they're not allowed to talk about it. And there's there's aspects of that that I then uh, took on as a organizer to be able to bring people together in a safe place where they feel like they could kind of share their experiences and work together kind of in the underground. And uh, slowly but surely, I was with the help of... Uh, wonderful group of people from Reconsider, uh, Steve Apcon and Marcina. They are the, the producers of Fantastic Fungi. They they allowed us a space to start to bring in VA That's a research. documentary, by the way, for folks and highly recommend. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. on Netflix. Mm-hmm. So we started having these meetings with VA researchers and uh, learning from each other, from from people who are really leaders in in the field, like Lynette Averill at the Houston VA and Christopher at the Portland VA and uh, Rachel Yehuda at the Bronx. Um, I really was taking pages from their notes because these are folks who have been really, really pioneering and ahead of, of anything that I was doing. And it was, it was inspiring firing and continues to be so they're really great friends now but being able to to take in their lessons as credibility and understanding into any kind of conversation i've had with folks uh, at other vas has been a huge benefit just bringing together community well was there was there a time when finally like a a va said all right, Dr. Skiles, like, like, come in. Sorry, I know you, like, they ask you, they say, like, we want you. Are you full time with any particular VA at this point? Or was there finally one VA that's, that, that almost like said, we're taking a chance on this because we see the data? Did that happen? So that's happening right now. So I'm working at the Translational Psychedelic Research Program at UCSF. And, um, they uh, have a really good partnership with the San Francisco VA. And one of the things that we're uh, starting is a psilocybin trial, the first psilocybin trial at the San Francisco VA. 
that's uh, looking at treatment for methamphetamine addiction. So again, finding the right people who are open to it and, and also learning how best to work within that system because the people who are open to it and wanting to research it are, are opening their doors, but they cannot actually allocate any funds because then it looks like the VA yeah. is supporting the use of Schedule One drugs. So a lot, if not the majority of all our research has been through different grants and uh, philanthropic donations. So having, having a kind of multifaceted community that is supporting you and, and I get to kind of come to the table and say, this is what other people are doing right now. And, and it looks like potentially we might fall behind the curve when in actuality, I think VAs are set up perfectly for psychedelic assisted therapy, specifically for their long-term psychotherapy uh, elements. Like mm-hmm. with, un- with other civilian healthcare systems that are operating on kind of a, a 10, eight to 10 uh, visit, eight to 10 session visit, there's such flexibility at VAs when it comes to psychotherapies that you don't really have a set date where you need to stop going. With a lot of veterans, you get to continually show up and continue those kind of integration sessions. It's something that I think that the VA is set up really well for when it comes to integrating this into the general population. Well, there's. it seems as though like so many other things that are groundbreaking or pioneering, they just hopefully over time, you'll have enough data. You'll have enough, even if it's anecdotal data, personal data and follow-up data with individuals that, that can report directly back. And over, over years of that, finally, they say, okay, you can't ignore, you can't ignore that. And, you know, you can't ignore it. So, you know, I'm, I I think too, there's, I'm sorry to cut you off. I just realized that So one of the aspects, too, is the approach to the gatekeepers. They have their own kind of anxieties and concerns and understanding about psychedelics. So one of the aspects in this approach is to just check in with them as a person and help them kind of question what it is they think they know about psychedelic-assisted therapies. Because we we are still dealing with a lot of stigma from the 1960s and 70s and being able to actually research it is going to be the key. Yeah. And, and I think the additional layer of that is, yes, we need time, we need data, but you know, what else is the big, is the big turnkey here, man? It's money, right? It's understanding yeah. that we're realizing that we want to help people, yes, but there has to be a business model where, not necessarily the VA, but I'm, if, we, if we then extrapolate that out to civilian therapies, there has to be a business model that's like, oh, it turns out because Big Pharma has controlled so much of what's happening, the complete narrative, right, with, with psychology, um, with psychiatry and how it forms, right? And so we got to break some change, just like we talked about, like breaking that you know, those unhealthy places, those brain waves and those, those, uh, those things, those activities that we look at that are toxic for us. We got to break those things in half. Well, we got to break this sort of system too, right? To be able to start integrating things that, that work, that actually work. Yeah. I, I feel like there's this 
This great bit of wisdom I remember hearing from John Lennon is to not smash the entire system because parts of it actually work mm. and parts of it are going to be really beneficial and to just, just rake it all down. You're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And so there's, there's a piece of me that is, I think, gotten to this point by staying open to, to the experience, but also staying open to where I fit and where I can be the most impactful. And then you start to, to find out how best to operate. And I, I feel like that's where we're at right now with psychedelic-assisted therapies is we are seeing a multitude of different ways in which this fits. And I think everyone involved with uh, our healthcare system on many different levels, caretakers and clients, are tired of an old system and it comes out in different ways of like burn it all down when in actuality some of it's some of it's working it's just really damaged right now yeah and if you went in like a cowboy and we're like you know fuck all that this is what works man look at the day you there would be so much pushback that you wouldn't find the ability to foster relationships with a massive entity like the va and it turns out you're you're doing it right man i mean i i, I i've got 20 wrap-up questions and i i don't know which one to go with. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to pretend that I am one of our many veterans, which many of them are my friends that are listening right now that have been downrange and have been in the shit and that uh, would have, I've talked to them about this and it's such a daunting thing. Um, and because it's, it is, leaning towards going a little bit more mainstream as we've discussed it's maybe not yet so for, I, it's a twofold question for a civilian and a veteran and and this is for somebody who's who's you know been through the shit we've all been through it it's just the profundity of it right it's like what's the how deep did you go with it right and we've all had traumatic experiences and and then therefore dot 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 we all could truly benefit from from this it it can seem daunting to enter into it because what we don't know about what we are what we are unknowledgeable about is fearful right it's scary stuff so would you care to take a spin at you know the channels uh and the places um that both a vet and a civilian could start to explore and and if you don't mind the nuances between the different medicines and modalities and maybe i know it's very nuanced but you know maybe you could kind of point to what you've seen anecdotally as being the most effective for some particular whether it's ptsd or whether it's major depressive or it's addiction and stuff what you've seen it really works for people how they get there and what works Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so it's so it's such a case by case basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it, once again, there's no panacea, right? There's no easy answer yeah. with this. And I'll let you off the hook just by saying like there is not that. But if you could maybe just, you know, a, a 30,000 foot view of I guess the most important thing is where, how, like, you yeah. know, give, give, give us, give us a channel and, and not necessarily a website or some shit like that. But like, who do we, who do they talk to both veteran and civilian spaces if they want to 
sort of sort of go this direction and then if you feel like it or if you know have any sort of answer the different medicines for the different disorders or, or issues absolutely mm -hmm. so the people that i've been introduced to who are are doing the work right now are, are the heroic hearts project uh jesse gould has been a good friend and do they have a web present heroic hearts yes. project okay yeah okay so somebody could find them should they yes. want to okay sounds good yeah and uh the mission within they both those programs have done phenomenal work within the veteran community and they are uh, continuing to lean on the elders who have practiced this from from far beyond when it came into western society who are who are supporting indigenous cultures and and the wisdom they bring into our our therapeutic practices so those are those are a couple ones that i'd say everybody needs to check out as well as yourself. So there is an aspect to this that's kind of been a theme unspokenly at times is, is being able to follow your heart and your intuition and to, to note when you're able to be free, when you're able to be open and authentic with the process and to be aware of what helps you dive into something, to sit with it and be fully present, to note when you cannot be and when you need to step back and take care of yourself, these are these are two pretty powerful aspects that I feel like a lot of guys and gals from the veteran community have almost like a, a an adjustment to make because we can go from zero to sixty really quickly. There's so much love and passion within this community that we want to take it all on. We want to, we want to do so much for ourselves and others. And I think it's good to take baby steps when it comes to that, to really start small, titrate, start to understand the experience and not jump into the deep end. Yeah, because there are different little layers to it, right? You talked about meditation. There's breath work that can go into it. You don't have to just go and like eat five grams of mushrooms and just be like, oh, whoa, here we go. Right. There are, there, you know, like you say, baby steps. What about the MAPS program, the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies? Have you um, have you had much much connection with them? Because they're, they're it's an, I think it's international. Uh, it's, it's definitely, yes. nat it's international and they do a lot of good work. There's one uh piece up in uh, Boulder where they, they have a, a clinic there and they do a lot of good work and send people in different directions. What's your experience with them? Rick has been a really good collaborator with the veteran community. He's been able to have some conversations with me and help me understand the lay of the land as, a, as an incoming postdoc. And he has he's dedicated so much to Rachel Yehuda's uh, program as well as Christopher's program and then just throughout the VA system he's he's continued to donate his own funds to be able to continue helping veterans and continuing to have trials to to heal from post trauma and I believe he's beginning to start for uh, couples therapy Mm -hmm. Well, so that is one one channel definitely for the civilian population, because I know that they can at least, you know, have suggestions for where you yeah. can go. And I think as we would you not agree that from a from sort of a social a societal standpoint that 
we are going to get we're already seeing components of it in denver and colorado i, I live up the hill from denver <laughs> in the in the mountains and we're seeing it in you know the, the west coast that here in the next few years we're going to see a a big jump when it comes to sort of at least managing that that stigma that was created be a little bit more mainstream and accepted um because we've seen this the efficacy over years and years would you agree that that's that's definitely happening and going to continue to happen on a pretty steep parabola i i hope so there's a piece of me that wants to take it one step at a time because like the advice i was giving earlier one of the things i think we still need to work through is making sure that we have the right people in place uh, who are appropriately trained to work with psychedelic care as as well as what those practices look like. We're still in kind of the infancy stage of what is a best practice in psychedelic-assisted therapies. Mm. I have some friends who are, are working out those, those guidelines right now after helping out with the Ethics Committee with the American Practitioners, Psychedelic Practitioners uh, Association. Mm-hmm. So... There is a, a, a great hope that this will continue helping people. And I just hope that we take it as thoughtfully as possible because just like anything, um, it's going to have its challenges. And due to the, the vulnerability, the impact, the true potential, I, I think it's something to respect just as you would anything. Mm-hmm. It deserves the respect. It does. Um, and I, you know, I, 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 I told you I was going to keep you here for, for a half a day, bro. And I'm sorry. Right. Um, so I know that, <laughs> you know, we're, we're, um, I, you have a, you have another appointment coming up. So I, I just want to, as we could think about how to wrap this up, I just want to get your thoughts on, you know, the, the journey that is possible for an individual to take. It's, it's it's not easy and anything worth doing i think we would all agree is is not easy yeah you know the easy way is is going to continue to be the easy way and and the most currency psychological emotional uh currency that can be created through experiences are oftentimes not easy and they're hard and i think as we continue as a society to open up to these forms of therapy, we have to understand that to do the work, uh, it, we have to do the work to come out on the other side, different, changed, evolved, open, receptive, all these things that you and I have been talking about, right? So, so I'm, I, I'm scared. I don't, I don't know what this would be like, Dr. Skiles, right? I don't know, I don't know if, uh, if I can handle this. I'm not sure that I'm cut out for this. I'm really frightened about what I might discover. I'm scared of what I might see. Um, I don't want to go back there to that because that was shit. And I don't want to do that. And I'm really frightened. Tell me, what's, what's that advice? Oh, I'd say you're in the perfect place for it because it's the folks who think they're ready that I'm really concerned about. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's fantastic. There's a respect for for humility looking before you leave. Uh Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. And so being able to to hold that fear then becomes a part of this journey and to respect not only your own your own humility, your own kind of place in, in humanity, 
but also to be mindful of how it is that you want to experience this because it's not for everybody. And if you think that at this point in time that you are are not ready to take the leap, I'm going to walk right with you. And we, we don't have to take the leap. That's kind of the, the expectation is that I'm not going to sell this to you. Mm. You are going to do it yourself. I just hold space. The, the practice of psychedelic assisted therapies is uh, more about the, the participant, the, the person in the medicine and their own inner healer that takes control and allows them to experience things that they're ready to experience. I, I'm not the one doing anything but making sure you're safe, that you're processing what you want to process being able to help you work through anything that might be difficult man brother wow um i know that what i'm about to tell you is going to make you feel uncomfortable and i know that you probably uh you may squirm a little bit but i know just from talking to you this this period of time i'll say that when you take these big journeys which i've taken several um that at times if you're fortunate you get shown a previous version of yourself you can see like a hundreds, if not thousand year old version of, of you, um, I, I have. Um, and I think that you would say that that does happen sometimes. I don't think there's any question, Zach, that um, you've been a healer. Um, you're in, in, in ancestrally, you've been a healer. You're, a, but see, you're, you're the, you're just, you, you're a warrior and a healer and there's not, too many Both things can be they true. can be true right <laughs> like you're a uh, you are the dichotomy of that you can be a warrior and a healer and that is a beautiful thing and the world is a better place in this moment that we live because zach was open and receptive to being a warrior and a fighter and then understanding that he truly in his heart is a healer and you found your space to do that and i commend you man for everything that you're doing and everything you continue to do you know we we are even if folks have not met you we're all grateful to you because you're making this space a better space so thank you for spending some of your time with us and sharing your space because you've made you've improved people's lives you will continue to do so and thank you for connecting with our community thank you i really appreciate it man this has been a great conversation same here thanks everybody The production team behind this podcast includes producer Diedrich Jonk, that's me, sound design, editing, and mixing by Tyler Cotman, marketing and graphics support from Stone Lord, and web support by Jamlo. Special thanks to the Dan Ryan Band for our intro song, Guidance. And thanks to all of you for listening. We know that you've got a lot of choices about how you can spend your time, and we appreciate you spending it with us. If you enjoy this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe to it, share it, and give us a review. Show notes can be found at NoBarriersPodcast.com. That's NoBarriersPodcast.com. There's also a link to shoot me an email with any suggestions for this show or any ideas you've got at all. Thanks so much and have a great day.